0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, coming to you from the lower level of the behavioral sciences unit at HT headquarters in London, England. Nice. Uh, I, I got technical. in my TARDIS and I went over. Oh, there we go. Or was it a police box? I'm not sure. And much like uh, the TARDIS, our conversations are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside, so. Figure that one out. This podcast is just the outside of a much, much broader conversation without beginning or end. Yes, this is like uh, when you find the bathroom on the TARDIS. That's right. It's the timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly podcast.
1: Hmm.
0: That's a throwback to a previous podcast. That is. Don't blink. But uh, this week, as I said last week, we're going to dive into Seventh Sunday After Pentecost sermon by Norman Nagel from his selected sermons of Norman Nagel published by Concordia Publishing House. This one he preached at Holden Village in 1978. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. where is Holden Village? Out in Washington. Is it? I have I no know. idea. I'm guessing. I don't know. Or I feel that, like I was... used to know this and I've forgotten it. I thought it was in Washington State. Huh. I'm probably like
2: so far off. It's a Lutheran renewal center in the northern Cascades of Washington. Yes. Look at that. I had no idea. It Here was formerly the largest of copper mines in the U.S. Holden Yes, mine. there we go. Mm-hmm accessible only by ferry Mm -hmm. it's on an island the lady of the lake
0: or hiking through the cascades so i like it just blend together you you like you got your christianity you got your aetherian legend maybe you want to go explore a copper mine it's the trifecta (laughs) there's lakes all over the place look at that yeah no the cascades are beautiful man when i lived out in oregon we would drive up to uh port angeles up through olympia and stuff like that and uh, that whole area, it's amazing, the glacial lakes and stuff. It's beautiful. Wow. Just beautiful. Huh. Yeah, if I could live anywhere, if I could retire anywhere, it would definitely be Port Angeles, because it's right across from uh, BC. Okay. Which I also love. I love uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Yeah. Beautiful island. It is. And it's it's more
2: temperate than you would think. It's, it's yes, it is. For being so far <laughs> north.
0: And yeah. now that they've outlawed the hunting of grizzly bears, there's grizzly bears everywhere now. Wow. <laughs> to add a little wrinkle to your uh, nature hikes. Huh. Yeah, because apparently 3,000 people decided it's cruel and unusual to hunt grizzly bears because, you know, Disney. And uh, so now there's grizzly bears just roaming everywhere, destroying well, the ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, it might,
2: I mean, the, it might be, uh, what was Merida's uh, mom or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, from uh, Brave.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. The well, the bears thing are is, people too. Everybody wants to save the grizzly bears until they walk into your backyard uh, and eat yeah. your dog. Yeah yeah you thought that you thought the uh, raccoons were bad right exactly <laughs> you got a grizzly bear in my personal sovereignty well you told us not to hunt them well i changed my mind they ate my dog so get out there and get them
2: that's the you, way it you works. saw on uh nature's metal or i don't remember which one instagram yeah. feed um, the two uh the bears the uh, fishing buddies <laughs> going yes, at each other yes. in the right. salmon stream wow Let's not get in the middle no, of that.
0: Again, we're so removed from the food chain. We've so removed ourselves from the food chain that we've, again, idealized nature. And then you see nature and, and you think, oh, well, that's not real. It's like, well, that's why there's mountain lions and coyotes and deer in Los Angeles now. Yeah. <laughs> Because you've decided, well, we can't kill them because they're beautiful creatures and
2: yeah, they're harmless. Kinda, and it's kind of like in the uh, scripture where you talk about the you know moving mountains.
0: You know, the mountain right. falls upon you.
2: Actually, that can happen. Uh, go to right, Hawaii, exactly. right?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, that's that's been fascinating too to listen to people in interviews from Hawaii talk about the volcano god. Hmm. In the in the 21st century, there's still people that believe in volcano gods, and. uh then they say that i'm crazy for what i believe but yeah. you know <laughs> well whatever again like we said in the last podcast there's your sign <laughs> my my car was just devoured by lava yeah good luck uh, uh
2: <laughs> you build your your subdivision there hmm. <laughs> right that may not have been the wisest
0: choice again perception versus yeah. reality there's no
2: way to stop that lava you can, once it you can build your out.
0: house over the pacific ocean on stilts i'm just saying that erosion's real that's all i'm saying yeah. so don't get upset yeah. when your house True falls bad. into the ocean i can't believe this happened well, i can <laughs> so this week then diving back into nagel's a sermon this is matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 30 like i said we're gonna dive in this is page 175 if you're playing the home game mm. and this third paragraph now from the top of the sermon jesus bids us in these gospel words to come to him and bring our heavy load Give over all that laboring to justify ourselves, all that yoke of the law to him, which is what we were just discussing, is that the law of nature is brutal, harsh, and unforgiving. Yeah. So, when someone says, oh, I can worship God in nature, maybe 80% of the time, but (laughs) you might run into something on the path that basically says, "I'm, I'm, you know... I'm really happy that you're worshiping God, but I need to eat, so get in my belly. Yeah, the experience of the nature God is uh, a God who is very capricious, right? Yeah, very, and dispassionate. Growing up on the Iron Range, on the Boundary Waters, and growing up out in the woods, I've run into bears before (laughs) in the woods, and moose. Actually, moose are more terrifying than black bears, Hmm. Um, because they're mean, man. And they're huge. If you think a moose is big on TV, you should, like, come up alongside a moose. They're massive, and... um, And not very happy creatures, despite what Disney may say. Yeah. And you find out immediately in those situations, in those circumstances, you are not the apex predator. And nature is unforgiving. And the God of nature, like you said, is arbitrary and capricious and dispassionate. He does not care about you. I'm sorry, she does not care about you. Oh, Mother Earth. Let's get it right. Sorry. (laughs) That's right. Um, And so what happens then when we labor to justify ourselves, whether it be through nature or through our... Like we talked about in the last podcast, our politics, our ideals, the yes or no of our personal taste buds, which, again, I don't believe. I refuse to believe that nature is as harsh as people say it is. Well, go out in nature and then discover for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean go out into a park that's been groomed and has park rangers and a fence around it and it's safe because they've driven out all the predators. Go out into nature, nature. Go up into Montana and then go 50 miles out in the woods or go up into Alaska, like my uncle did, move 250 miles away from Fairbanks out in the middle of nothing. You know, he's a survivalist. So him and his wife moved 250 miles east of Fairbanks, built a cabin, cleared the land, live on a lake, yeah. grow their own food, hunt for their own food, come into the town once a month on uh, four-wheelers. I I met a guy who um, he was quite wealthy and he could do large
2: game hunting uh, yeah. around the world. And he would, he would organize these expeditions or trips or whatever they call them. Right. And uh, he did one where uh, they were hunting bears in, in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever bear it is, I don't remember which 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 variety. Uh, but they'd It'd hunt them on bear, s- on <laughs> snowmobiles, right? So they get them running because that was the only way they could get a good shot. They get them running and come up next to them so they could shoot them in the neck, right? Um, but uh, he was telling the story that uh, uh, one of the guy the guys tracking the bear, he's got his gun trained on it, uh, and then another snowmobile uh, to to avoid a tree or whatever has to swerve mm-hmm. in front of him, and the guy ends up shooting another guy. Oof. as they're chasing these bears and they're out in the middle of nowhere and they have to airlift, you know, call in for an yeah. airlift with satellite uh, phone and just, right. uh, yeah, it was, uh, these bears are dangerous. Oh, cause the bear swerved. That's what it did. It okay. cut across in front of the one snowmobile. Right. So then it had to cut across and then it, so it ends up getting, the guy ends up
0: getting shot cause the guy was ready to shoot this bear and didn't want to right. lose him. Ah. And for those, and for those of us who grew up actually having to walk through the woods and actually hunt and stalk game, I'm I'm kind of snobbish and I would I would argue that's not hunting. That's just pursuing because especially in those expeditions, especially those trophy hunters, they're not really hunting. They're just being led to where they're at and then being told point your gun this way. It's yeah. kind of like hunting for bush pigs in Texas from helicopters. Mm-hmm. The purpose is not to hunt them, the pur- purpose is to eradicate them because there's too many. Yeah. Like no. go and hunt go hunt a bear on foot. Well, that's exactly what would happen because
2: they they would ship the um the The skin and or the hide, I guess, or what do you say the right. there the fur um, the hide, yeah yeah, and the head they could ship those back, right, uh, but the, everything else leave the meat, everything else stayed for the village that's right, and uh, mm-hmm.
0: so one, they got one of these dangerous bears out of their hair, uh, and then they had food right so. and that's a good thing that's a that's a great service that people provide mm-hmm. those trophy hunters do, I mean they do this in Africa too it's kind of this is the problem with with you know on our side of the ocean when people attack these these. Refuges in Africa, where you basically, you big game hunters go in, they pay eighty thousand, hundred thousand dollars to go on these these "quote unquote" hunts. Well, what they don't understand is that that's actually supporting the local economy and it's managing the ecosystem, so mm-hmm. it's not out of whack. Yeah. And yet, yeah, sucks and it's not right, so to speak, but it's the way it is. And when you close down those those refuges or you close down those hunts, it actually destroys communities. Mm. And by the way, it also promotes poaching. That's the other issue. Because with the lack of money, you can't afford to pay people to protect the animals. And the villages now have a vested interest in protecting the animals because they're making money and they're getting, like you said, they're getting food. Yeah, It's a big deal. And then once you get rid of that stuff, they lose the food, they lose the money, and they have to turn to poaching to support themselves. Mm. And so, yeah, we may not like it on this side, but I can go to Cub Foods anytime I want and go to the freezer section and get as much meat as I need. Those guys, those people, may not have that opportunity. They don't have that opportunity, right. and so they've made the best of a bad situation. Right. But again, the law, the yoke of the law is heavy yeah. and a burden because it's essentially the more you try and justify yourself, the heavier the yoke becomes on your shoulders. Hmm. which may be, by the way, why we make such a big deal of obedience or word against love, even though we know because Jesus says that the purpose and goal of the law is love your neighbors yourself and love God. We turn it into, no, obey the commandments. Prove to God that you're worth his attention and his favor. Why? Because we like
2: being under the yoke?
0: No, because we struggle to justify ourselves to get out from underneath it, but it just gets heavier and heavier. And it's this kind of snake eating its own tail then Mm -hmm. that we don't we, we refuse to accept that only Jesus can remove the burden of the law from our shoulders yeah. through his free justification of sinners. And in order to admit that we're sinners, we also have to admit then that we're disobedient mm. to the core yeah, that
1: and worked. that
0: we can't fulfill the law. We can't keep the law. We can't be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And therefore, rather than simply say, I can't carry this, we say, I'll just try harder.
2: I got this. I'll work on it. Yeah.
0: Again, hold my beer. Mm-hmm. You know, carrying this heavy load, I'm getting stronger traps, man. You know hmm. I can I can, deadlift, I can deadlift 800 pounds now. Last, last year I could only deadlift 500 pounds. Yeah. Well, the law will eventually just crush you. That's why we die. <laughs> the law uses the sin uses the law to kill us. Hmm. And the proof then that we can't carry the burden of the law on our shoulders forever is the fact that we die. Yeah. It's also what drives us to Christ. Yeah. All the law and prophets hang on him. Hmm. So as Nagel says, Jesus relieves us of all that, the justifying, the yoke of the law. The heavy load. Jesus relieves us of all that. What we cannot bear, Jesus bears for us. He carries that yoke for us, fulfills the law for us. It's condemnation on our sin he bears for us. For on him is laid the burden of the iniquity of us all. Shout out to the prophet. Very nice. The death for sin, Jesus dies in our place. The forsakenness of God, which is for our sin, he takes in our place. For he is the sin bearer for us all, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, because he's reflecting on specifically, uh, what, Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Right, right. So, come to me. Um, All you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest, which is taking the yoke from you. But
0: then the next statement mm-hmm. is, take my yoke upon you and learn from right. me. Right. And this is the key point, then. The yoke that is laid upon us is to love as Jesus has loved us. Yeah, it's his yoke. Right. Uh, uh, it's the, it's not it's the yoke of obedience to the law. But rather, it is the yoke of grace. it is the yoke of, I want you to love your neighbor. I intend for you to love your neighbor as I have loved you, First mm-hmm. John 4. Yeah. And so, what we do, though, as I pointed out, is we, we think the yoke is, well, now that I'm saved, I can be obedient to the law, whereas before I was saved, I couldn't.
2: Yeah, it's the same yoke. It's just worse now.
0: Right. Right, exactly. We're like, yeah, but I like this yoke. It's familiar. It fits just right. It's, it's well-worn. <laughs> well-worn, Exactly. Because what's easier? Well, obedience is inherently selfish, Mm. because we're being obedient for our own sake. And if I prove my obedience to God by helping other people, that's more of a consequence. It's a byproduct of my obedience. Love, at least love in the way of Jesus, is selfless, not selfish. Mm. And therefore, it is to basically tear you away from yourself and put you in the other. And to recognize then in the other, this is not just a creature of God, but one for whom Jesus died. And therefore, my obedience to the law is not in my ability to not have any other gods, but my obedience to the law is my freedom to love my neighbor as I have been loved by Christ. Yep. And since love covers a multitude of sin, that cross that you take up, that yoke you take upon, that's laid upon us, well, that's the uncomfortable pinch of Jesus' yoke is love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't expose it. Yeah. It doesn't make, again, when you're trying to be obedient to the law, as the religious leaders are, any deviation from the norm becomes uh, an opportunity to say, ah, see, you're being disobedient, you're lawless, and I am lawful, therefore I am righteous and you are not. See, Lord, see, see, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Why? Because the Pharisee has no love. All he cares about is his obedience. Look at all I've done, Lord. And that's the key point. Obedience is about what we do, whereas love is a consequence of faith. It's the fruit of faith. That's that's what we teach. Yeah. And it's a a yoke, sure, but it's a light one. It is because, you know, to speak practically, experientially, when I take on someone else's, let's say, sin, for example, my kids, right? Mm -hmm. That I bear their sin in my body for them. And often I do it grudgingly, often I mutter and grumble, often I yell and rant and rave, but I still do it. Why? Because I must, yeah I guess so, in a practical sense, I mean my, my baby would starve to death if I didn't you know give her food, but why do I do it because I love them more than I love myself, yeah. and I would rather die than see them suffer in fact, speaking, of, this is so this is a sidetrack, but nonetheless, I think it goes to the point. We were uh, clearing brush and cutting down trees last Saturday, and um, one of the bushes we cut down had a bird's nest in it a robin's nest. Mm. And when we cut it down, I found the nest when I was clearing, but there's no eggs in it or anything, and there's no eggs on the ground. So I thought, oh, it's an empty nest, no big deal. So I threw it out in the back pasturage. And then later my son, my seven-year-old came out, and he found this baby robin under, the, under another tree. And I realized, oh, the baby robin fell out of the nest when we were cutting down this tree. So I went and I fetched the nest. I had my gloves on, and I had a lot of dirt on the gloves, so I was hoping that would mask my scent uh, from mama bird. And I took the nest, I put it back in the exact same tree, but obviously lower since we cut off the branches. Um, but it it had enough cover and it was there. And then I went and got the baby bird and I put the baby bird back in the the nest. And the reason I did all of this is because when I saw the baby bird and I walked up to it, it stuck its head up and opened its mouth for me to feed it. And it, it immediately reminded me of my daughter who is hmm. you know breastfeeding now. Yeah. And that's what she does when you pick her up. She automatically opens her mouth and she looks at you just like a baby bird looks at you. And it broke my heart. As a father, it broke my heart. And I said, I don't want this bird to die on my lawn or go out into the street and get run over by a car. Or have a blue jay peck its head off, which is what blue jays do, by the way. Again, nature is metal. So I, I put it back and I, I just hoped. I hoped that I could fix what I had done or what we had done. And then two days ago, I went out to check on it and the bird was gone. And it wasn't in the bushes and it wasn't on the ground. So either it fell out and, you know, crawled away or something like that, or a blue jay came and ate it, which is what blue jays do. Um, But nonetheless, that bothers me. Still, it bothers me. And I'm not a bleeding heart liberal by any sense of the means. I'm getting, I hunt (laughs) and I fish and stuff like that. But rather, when I saw that, it immediately, as a father, made me think about my own children. And even though it's just a bird, so to speak, it's still God's creation. And I see that as that now, that that's God's creation. God created that bird. And it made its nest in my tree outside my window of my house on my property. And therefore, I, in some way, I'm responsible for that. However that, you know, whatever that may be. Um, but that that's love. Right. Is that I don't just have love for my own children, but I have love for the children at church. I have love for people that I train with or my neighbors. I also have love, though, for all creation. Mm-hmm. And so it bothers me when I see creation destroyed, especially when I have a hand in it. Yeah. Because as, as you say, it's a reflection of uh, all the other relationships you have um, exactly. that you care about, uh, people that right. you care and about. And so, yeah, it's not only a reflection of, I live in a sinful, broken world, mm-hmm. but yet, and in, in that, and like Dr. Luther says, and I think this is often quoted with a uh, bad interpretation, is that he says, even the birds can preach the resurrection. And people use that as an excuse not to have to go to church and hear gospel preaching. Yeah. But what he means is, in faith, as Nagel pointed out in the last episode that we read, that these signs are given to faith, and as Luther is pointing out, then even a bird singing can point us to the resurrection of Christ, because that bird singing reminds us we live in a fallen and sinful world that's a, that is in need of redemption, and Jesus is the one who redeems the whole world. Right, and so that even that faith hears even the song of a bird as a proclamation of our of our Savior.
1: Hmm.
0: Because as he points out in the Jonah lectures, God bends all of creation toward our salvation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, even a bird singing can remind us, okay, we need a savior. Hmm. He's redeeming, he's even redeeming the birds. I mean, this is the point of Isaiah, right? In the beginning of Isaiah, when he talks about the last day and the coming of the Messiah, what does it look like? It looks like Genesis 2. It doesn't look like a golden Manhattan with streets of gold and blah, blah, blah. It looks like Genesis 2.
1: Hmm.
0: So, uh, and yeah, you have Daniel in Revelation, but the way that Isaiah frames it is the lion will lay down with the lamb, and the baby will stick his hand into the hole of the viper, and so forth and so on. That's Genesis two. Yeah, and the
2: point is, is that that's not uh, a difficult burden, right? I mean, it it, right. is, it is in a maybe in an emotional sense the way you responded to say finding right. of that of that bird, but um, but it, it it's not the the same kind of obligation or yoke
0: that the law. Uh, Right, I didn't do it because I said I didn't do it in order to say to God, "Look, (laughs) I did that. Can I get a Can I get half a point for that? Since it's not a person, I did it because, again, like I said, my love for my child was translated into my love for a bird's baby or any child, whether it be animal or human, because I recognize that. In creation, God is at work. Mm. That's who he is. He's a creator God. And therefore, in redeeming all creation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of creation has value because God says it's good and yep. he redeems it. Yep. And then as a Christian, then, when I look at the creation, whether it be my wife, whether it be a tree, whether it be whatever, I'm not just seeing my wife or a tree or whatever. What I'm seeing is God made this. Hmm. God died for this. God died to redeem this. Yeah. And these, these are the childbirth pains that Paul talks about. True. The fact that blue jays peck the heads off of baby birds and eat them. (laughs) It ain't pretty. It's just part of the deal now. Yeah. Exactly. So that's the yoke. And like you said, yeah, it's a, it's, I would say it's, it's a heavy yoke, but it's beautiful. Hmm. Right. And he says it's light and I'm not trying to contradict Jesus. I'm just saying that the lightness of the yoke is in the freedom to love one another as we've been loved. The heaviness of the yoke comes in realizing no matter how much I love you, I can't save you. Yeah.
2: So it's more of, uh, related to passion than it is to...
0: Yeah, exa- yeah that's a much better way of saying it. Thank you. Yeah, the, the passion of suffering. Than than it is to the work itself, right? Right. And so, yeah, I could even pray, Father, forgive me, because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. You know, I thought I was doing a good thing by clearing the brush and cutting down the trees. Mm. I thought I was doing a good thing by rescuing the bird. You know, but Blue Jays got to eat too, so why do I vilify Blue Jays? <laughs> you know, it's unlionized Robins. It's because I've watched too many cartoons. Yeah. And go. blue jays are violent, evil, malicious birds. <laughs> but hey, they got to eat too, man.
2: Learn something new every day.
0: There we go. So, uh, then Jesus gives us his yoke. After he clears away sin, clears away the burden of the law, clears away the condemnation on our sin, he bears all that for us, the, the forsakenness of God. He takes our place. And so, then he gives us his yoke. It's a happy exchange. Jesus, I am your sin. You are my righteousness. Our yoke of sin he takes and bears for us, and then he gives us his yoke. What a yoke, though! Never such... God, I'm I'm hungry for eggs. (laughs) Never such a yoke as this. Really no yoke at all, as is shown by the paradox of its opposite canceling it out. Yoke easy, burden light. What is light is no burden, and what is easy is no yoke. We know how this is from the cross. It is dread death for sin, forsakenness of God, that is ours that is his, that is ours. Jesus gives his cross to us, and with it, forgiveness, acceptance. God is our father, as surely as Jesus is his son, who exchanges yokes with us. And the yoke that is ours from him is easy. And this goes, the the yoke is called the happy exchange by Dr. Luther.
2: Yeah, so the, <laughs> the his yoke is freedom, which yeah. um, maybe is a little counterintuitive, I suppose. Right, exactly. Uh, but, but think of it, it's uh, the freedom to... Uh, serve him without fear not not right not under compulsion or obligation or being dragged along by these
0: this uh, this leash right well again the need to justify ourselves to god and to each other mm. which is again just the yoke of the law it's the old yoke of moses and that you'll know when you're bearing the yoke of freedom because as he says it'll be easy and light yeah and yeah we suffer you know for it as much as from it and yet we would i would say in faith, beg Jesus never to take it from us. Yeah, so we would say that we're we're yoked to Jesus rather
2: than yoked to the law, right? Yeah, right. So, right. so we're bound to him, or we're 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 joined to him, and that that's not. It it seems like oh, that's just another form of slavery, um, but it but it isn't because it's acceptance, it's forgiveness, it's you or mine, um, it's the relationship of a father to a child. You know, right, it, it's it's a beautiful connection, <laughs> if you like, right. rather than
0: um, one of obligation, duty, um, obedience. But this is something we struggle with daily, because, as I point out too, in Corinthians, Paul says, "God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God." This is the happy exchange. This is ground zero for this. And yet, we read that, and we automatically say, "Well, it's my sin." No. When you're yoked to Jesus, it's his sin. He is sin for you. And you are the righteousness of God, so long as you are yoked to Jesus. But we cannot stand to live in that language. It burdens us to say, it's not your sin, it's his sin. It's not your abandonment and forsakenness, it's his. So, when someone says, well, I feel like God has forsaken me, well, that's impossible. If you're in Christ, that is literally impossible for that to happen. Yeah, the only one and who's so, been been utterly forsaken is Jesus Himself, right? Exactly. And so, where are the wires getting crossed that the connections not being made? Well, maybe it's because we don't stress this enough because we've institutionalized guilt and fear and insecurity, and we don't want our people running around acting freely, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: bearing each other's burdens, loving each other, covering each other's sins, living in forgiveness. Because well, we, Why we want? Because be, then we can't control them. <laughs> right, exactly. We
2: want to be prescriptive and descriptive. We want to we want to set the parameters. We want to say what love ought to look like. You know. Yeah, and, exactly. And how, and who how we attract, ought to love. And, yeah, who who it's safe to love, and how that how that love should be carried out, and whether it's even you know economical or,
0: <laughs> oh, right. or practical. Well, again, why why are they always after the religious leaders are after Jesus, the crowds are after Jesus, the disciples are even after Jesus because he doesn't behave like a proper God or yeah. Savior is supposed to behave. He loves all the wrong people. He forgives all the wrong people. He hangs out with all the wrong people. Yeah, and he does it all the, I mean, he does it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, everything, he just does everything wrong. It's, this is,
2: the signs correspond to the Messiah, but you're actually being the Messiah. That doesn't right, correspond exactly. to what we
0: thought. You were. walk like a duck and you quack like a duck, but...
1: Mm,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're this whole like, persuaded. render under Caesar, what a Caesar is, that's not exactly
0: what we were planning on. You know? Right, exactly. What, we you were going to exactly. overcome
2: Caesar or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And this this bothers us to the present tense. It always has. It's our it's our natural inherent tendency as selfish, again, to be curved in on ourselves is what it means to be sinful. Mm. That is, we're selfish. We're self-centered. We're team me first. Yeah. And, and we use that selfishness. Are we, well,
2: necessarily our selfishness plays out in, in the way that we want to box Jesus in too.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So we just explain away the parables because we don't like the conclusions like the Pharisee and the tax collector. We want the tax collector to come back next week, a Pharisee, with his life cleaned up and everything in order so he can stand up front with the other Pharisee. We want our pastors to be Pharisees, let's be blunt, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they're patriots, they pay their taxes, they're grounded in the word of God, they're really good neighbors. And they'll tell us what to do. And they'll tell us, what, like you said, they are prescriptive to a fault. Yeah. And we love being enslaved. That's why we demand kings and we demand states and we demand that somebody else make decisions for us. Mm, Like a dog to its vomit. Exactly. How dare you, sir? Mm. I'm going to destroy my self-esteem. Sorry. So Jesus gives us his yoke. It's a happy exchange. He gives us his cross, yeah, but with it comes forgiveness and acceptance and, by the way, a new relation to God as our Father. Mm -hmm. The whole heart's ease and happy freedom of one of Christ's own is in that easy... That Jesus lays on us. It is how you feel when the heavy pack comes off and you take off your heavy boots and your feet can't believe the ease and the lightness of walking. That is in the word light. When Jesus says, My burden is light, a word that has in it quick, nimble capering, as when we say of some who dance that they are light of foot.
1: Hmm.
0: And this goes to the point that he says actually at the beginning of the sermon, maybe we'll backtrack a little bit. If being a Christian is something that makes you groan, you have almost certainly got it wrong burdens are for growing or groaning under burdens are for groaning under and burdens are what Jesus is talking about in our gospel if you have burdens then it is to you that Jesus calls come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me yeah we see this you know I know signs are uh, difficult as we talked about
2: in the last uh, episode but mm-hmm. but uh, you know the signs that he gives for john to you know that the lame walk and right. the uh, the blind see i mean these are this is the lifting of those burdens um that hold them down if you like but you even see it in the prophets too right um where right. the where the lame leap like deer mm-hmm. um, under under this um being yoked to jesus
0: <laughs>
2: right right uh that now they're light foot. i like that idea
0: well, it's so crazy too because the things that you just enumerated are the things that again get him killed. Yeah, that he raises the dead. Well, we should kill him before anybody finds out. Yeah, and <laughs> he fe- not he even heals subjectively the lame of the blind not even on the Sabbath, not
1: even
2: subjectively good works. I mean, I, I think uniformly, you know, we would mm-hmm. say these
0: are objectively good things. Right, we, you would. I would argue that getting raised from the dead is objectively good. Right. I, I, this is not a relative judgment to say. Oh. Other than the fact that the religious leaders plan on murdering him, but, but, I, but I liked being blind. Um, right. Right. <laughs> it's like, are you? Do you? Are you blind? Do you want to? Do you want me to tell you where he's at so he can heal you too? Hmm. It and again. It goes to the point of the religious leaders believe that the law is all about obedience to the law, and when they see someone being disobedient, as Jesus is so often seen to be disobedient. Jesus answers them with, he just double downs on, he doubles down on love. Right. Well, what like, was the law? I mean, why was the law given? Exactly. What is the spirit of the law? Is it obedience? No, it's love. Yeah. It's love to God reveal sin, surely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's to reveal not just your disobedience, but the fact that your disobedience is grounded in your refusal to love mm. as you have been loved, to love selflessly and uh, recognize the goal and the purpose of life is to, be, is to love and be kind, to cover a multitude of sins with love to be long suffering and forgiving all these things that are the fruits of the spirit that Paul enumerates in Galatians mm-hmm. and we just take all of those things and go yeah obedience i've got to be long suffering i've got to be kind i've got to be loving because god demands it yeah and it's the, like you completely miss the point the, the classic Pharisee example is the sabbath which you mentioned right before but
2: uh, jesus tells us why the sabbath was given very specifically right exactly right?
0: yeah yeah thousands of years Of clarification and still it comes out on the other end of you can't eat that on the sabbath that's work Mm. this is interesting too this is why dr lutheran in the german bible um he translates sabbath as feast day okay to to again bind it up not only with the entire tog or something yeah, yeah, firetog. That um, not only to bind it up with the intent of what is that day for? It's to celebrate. It's a cel- day of celebration to celebrate the end of another week, to celebrate all the gifts of God that you've received this week in the you know family, food, all these things that you come from God. But then also it binds it to the Lord's table. Now hmm. that the feast day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest is to rest in Christ. That's why it's there. Yeah. Not to rest because you worked hard, but to rest in God.
2: Yeah, and then in. Uh, as he as he does in the catechism, I mean, every day is the Sabbath then for the exactly.
0: Christian. I mean, we live in that eternal Sabbath. Right. Which for a lot of 20-year-olds is good news. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're free!
0: I've been on summer break for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the eternal spring break. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's in the Bible. It's like, no, you're, I think you're missing the point just a little bit. <laughs> uh, and I'm just saying that because I'm jealous, but... um, no, and I think that's the key point, is that he comes and removes the burden of the law, the yoke of the law, which sin uses to burden us beyond all measure, mm. to crush us, to kill us, and as soon as he removes it, we just start grabbing for it again. Yeah. And it's not a happy exchange, and the proof of that is the way in which we react to it. Because we say, as I've said before, the dirtiest, most vulgar word in the entire Bible is actually the word freedom. Yeah. Actual freedom. And Right. actual freedom because if you live as a free man or woman in Christ there are lots of Christians that will put you in your place very quickly right. we're not talking about or, an abstract idea we're actually talking no, about no. actual practice they'll accuse you of affirming sin they'll accuse you of promoting sin as Paul does in Romans 7 when he talks about this do we you know, do we sin that grace may abound absolutely not how can we who have died to sin remain in it mm-hmm. and the question is and then he follows that up with but I'm stuck in sin yeah. so is it God's fault is it the law's fault no whose fault is it mine yeah. because of sin yeah yeah the, no. and
2: those who are free are the ones who will say to you what are you so afraid of right exactly. because they because they know it they, they, right. they live in it and then they look at you and you're like you're still caught up in right um you know you're bound to to this slavish obedience this this law that that's um it's it's holding you down it's, it's holding mm-hmm. you back but but in reality it's 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 captivating you Um, And usually to inactivity, to
0: fear, the fear prevents you from love, right? Right. Well, that's the key point. Obedience is what what allows us to take agency, to act. Mm. It's an activity. It's a right-handed kind of power. Love is a passive thing because I can't force you to love me. That's rape. And so I can't force you to love me, which means it's passive. I can only love you in relation to how much you want me to love you. And if you decide you don't want me to love you, there's nothing I can really do about that. Right. Therefore, I have to accept your verdict or your judgment on love. Or if you say, I need you to be there for me for this. Well, maybe I don't want to be there for you. Or maybe that interferes with my schedule and my priorities. And therefore, I have to give up what is important to me for the sake of you, the beloved. And that, again, is not... It's not, I'm not taking personal agency, but rather I'm allowing you to have agency. And as we've talked about before, this is the the difficulty with love is that it it you're giving up the idea that you possess or own the other person. And instead you accept that they are a creature of God and that they are free in and of themselves. They're an individual person. Mm. And that in relation to you, like the man and the woman, when the man sees the woman for the first time in Genesis, this is flesh and my flesh, bone and my bone, is that we recognize in the other our self. And so when we want to possess the other person, what we're really doing then is we're turning them into a manifest, like you're a reflection of me oh. and and I'm not comfortable with what I'm seeing. So I'm going to change you. And in changing you, that means personal self-improvement and growth for myself.
1: Hmm.
0: And so we're constantly trying to fix each other rather than simply allowing each other to just be. Right.
2: And that's another kind of slavery, Right. Um, yeah. Slavery to one's own ideas or thoughts or idea of, of yourself, but then what, right. what you expect of others. Um, right. You know, what things should look like, how this world should look. And uh, it's it's it's
0: anti-creative, really, right? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Well, think about it this way, too. What owns you, hmm. right? This is First Commandment stuff, your love and trust talk. What owns you? What possesses you? Figure that out. Maybe just the, figure five things out. Just sit down and think about what are five things that own you, that possess you, that occupy your time and attention and your energy. And then how do you then try and own other people in the same way that those things own you or those people own you? And it's this constant cycle. Then we're, that we're constantly trying to possess other people, fix other people, thinking that that'll you know help us. And it's this. And if you step outside of that in true freedom and. No longer try and own or possess other people and, by the way, make yourself unavailable to be owned or possessed by anyone except Christ Jesus. Now you're not playing the game anymore. No. And once you stop playing the game, you become a threat. Because you basically stepped outside the game and went, you know this is absurd, right? You know this is really just a waste of time. This is the. This is, again, the yoke of the law. And you're just burdening each other more and more. You're not helping free each other. You're actually helping crush each other. There is no spoon. (laughs) Yes, there is no spoon. And when someone says, well, yeah, but what else is there except to play the game to win? And you say, well, you just don't play the game. Well, what's the option? Christ. Well, yeah, but I still have to join a church, right? It would be beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Gospel and the gifts.
2: Yeah, he's promised to
0: be there for you. Right. Right. The, the church isn't the game. The church is the vehicle in which God chooses to deliver the gospel and the gifts for you to remove your burden. Mm. And yet the church is full of sinners, and the church is an organization. It's an institution. It has rules, has you know, uh, good order for the sake of good order. And that's the constant push and pull of the Christian life is to navigate these two sides. There have to be laws. We have to have laws. Try and try and govern your children by the forgiveness of sins and see how long till they burn down your house. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> There must be laws, and the law is written onto our hearts. And so, anybody who says that, Christ- that the law doesn't apply to Christians is foolish and childish in their thinking, because it's not possible. Because the law is written onto my heart. And if you don't think the law applies to Christians, fine. Then leave your doors open at night. Don't lock your car. Leave it running when you go up t- downtown to shop. Yeah. Let your kids play in the middle of the street. You know, whatever. Don't tell people what time church starts on Sunday morning. Don't have liturgy. Whatever. These are all things that require us to have some sort of rule set <laughs> to protect us from each other because we're still sinful.
2: Yeah, and it happens even in church, you know. Yeah, exactly, especially but, in church. And, and like, why? I mean, why would people be so surprised, I think, outside, right. you know, when there's scandal mm-hmm. in the church? <laughs> right. Uh, it's, you, ex- you think that being a Christian is about um, your self-improvement. And, exactly. And, um, but the problem with
0: revealing sin to, to, to sinners Is that sin increases. Right. And therefore, you either double down on your hypocrisy, I am better than you are, I am different than you are, I'm spiritually or morally superior to you, or you double down on Christ. Yeah. And you say, absolutely, everything you just said is 100% true, that's why I go to church, because I need Christ. One
2: of my uh, favorite treatments of the passion narrative is... um from uh, Dorothy Sayers, A Man Born to be King. It was a radio, Hmm. it was meant to be a a play, a stage play, and ended up just being produced as radio drama on BBC a couple times. You you do
0: Uh, realize by saying the name Dorothy Sayers, you just caused half of our listeners' heads to explode. Why? You just caused, you know, just, keep going. Okay.
2: (laughs) Did I skip her middle initial, L? Anyway. There we go. Uh, (laughs) uh one of the inklings etc cetera, etc cetera. okay right so um but what's interesting about it is um she talks about um judas being the um, the money keeper right yeah uh, which is in the gospels and that he dipped his hand in there in the till all the time and uh and she's got jesus fully aware of what he's been doing right yeah and yet not excluding him from the company of the apostles even though he's he's embezzling basically yeah right um and that Having him, Jesus even being forgiven, forgiving of Judas um, leading into the betrayal, right? Which, mm-hmm. which is right in the Gospels. But it is interesting to have that idea that, oh, yeah, he was stealing money, but Jesus knew it the whole time. Well, of course he did, right? Because he's God in the flesh. Um, right. But even in a human sense, he's aware of it. And yet he looks the other way. And the way that, um, is it harming the community? Yeah. Is it harming mm-hmm. Judas? Yeah. Um, but But he's also uh, patient with him. You know, recognizing right. no Judas is a
0: thief. I mean, that's that's what he is. Uh, I bring up the Dorothy Sayers thing because I I referenced her to once in casual conversation, and the person I was talking to confer, confused her with Margaret Sanger. Oh no! <laughs> right, I was like, no, 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 no. Dorothy Sayers, no, uh, friend of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Uh, no, not Margaret Sanger. Sorry, no. Nah. <laughs> I was like, I can see where you might get confused. But. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, but but uh yeah no, that happens in the christian
2: community i mean we we have mm-hmm. um people who are in open rebellion to god 's word um right. and in in part and another and another part completely faithful right at the same time yeah um and we we want them to conform immediately and certainly especially if there's personal safety involved mm-hmm. you know we're gonna we 're gonna set up barriers and and restraints to to prevent um right you know abuse but we still recognize yeah no they're struggling right i'm mean, they they still have every desire to um like judas to take from the till right right
0: well and this is a key point too is that this is why you it's dangerous to armchair quarterback other congregations and pastors mm. because really what you're doing pastorally, at least what i'm ending up doing is <clears throat> I'm asking the question, where's the first commandment busted loose in your life? Yeah. To separate you from Christ, to separate you from the gifts. And in this person's life, this is how it's happened. And for you to come over to my congregation or to look at it from a distance and say, well, that's not how I would handle this. That's wrong. How dare you do it? No, you don't understand. (laughs) Like, the law is broken loose in this person's life in a very specific way that has nothing to do with your experience over here. It may look similar, but we're perform like we're a mass unit in the church, mm-hmm. essentially is what's happening, mm-hmm. and so we're we're trying to suss out from the confession how the law's broken loose and how to restore this person to a proper relationship with Christ, so that again, the burden that they're carrying is removed from them, and it becomes easy, whatever that may look like in the case of addiction, you're asking the question, how is the commandment you know you have fear love and trust of meth, and therefore this has led you this direction this this God that you worship has now put you in jail, it's destroyed your, your physical and mental health, it's destroyed your relationships, you can't get a job, like all these consequences from this one thing. So then, <clears throat> excuse me, how do we reset you in relation to God's baptismal promises to you? Yeah. So that you recognize meth isn't just a drug, but it's also become a god to you.
1: Yeah.
0: And, a, and it's taken your life because false gods don't have life in and of themselves, so they have to take yours to live. And yet Jesus gives you life. He doesn't take life. Right. And so how do we replace this with this? Like, you know, you have the, the, you go to this house and smoke meth. This is the house of God. You put this pipe to your lips. This is the cup of the Lord. They're telling you the good news of doing drugs with them and forgiving you for doing drugs with them. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ that forgives the fact that you have destroyed yourself in this way yeah. and that you're under the burden of the law now well we think i think sometimes that forgiveness is
2: um, one thing and then obedience or even the new we would say the new obedience that comes yeah. uh, after forgiveness if you like um, that that's still our obedience and that's not the way the scriptures speak i mean it's the way jesus is speaking here it's his yoke um, right if if there is any uh, amendment of life it's it's god's work in Christ that that comes through forgiveness, right. right? It's not it's not our like okay. Now that you're forgiven, now you now you have the power to do what you um, mm-hmm. you know been trying to stop doing before. No, right. <laughs> that's not how this works. Um, it's the new man in Christ that 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 has that amendment mm-hmm. and that. But it's yeah. in Christ. It's Christ's work,
0: right? And this is the thing too. Is like you said, we 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 preach it, we teach it, and maybe we even believe it. But then in in actual fact when we when we put it into practice Mm. or we see it manifest itself we try and hedge it we try to hedge our bets yeah and and say well okay you're forgiven and yeah you believe jesus is your savior but you've relapsed therefore were you ever really serious in the first place or you know when you clean up your act and prove to me that you're worthy to come back to the to the god's house or come back to the table then i'll readmit you versus, like we were talking about before we went on air, this whole matter of confession and absolution is what basically admits one to the Lord's Supper. And the very confession itself is an act of repentance. And even though, again, it may not seem like it on the surface, mm-hmm. what we see happening, the confession makes clear this person is repentant. This person is the tax collector in the parable. yeah, And they are standing at the back of the church saying, well, I'm not worthy to stand in his presence. Well, you don't understand. Jesus took your yoke upon himself and gave you his yoke and that's why you're here yeah <clears throat> and again it's love it's just about where is your faith is it in the drug or is it in christ jesus and his promises yeah. what are the gifts are the gifts words water bread and wine or are the gifts chemicals and and all that go along with it
2: well and the problem is is that we we could take that relapse and use that mm-hmm. well then as you said that's now proof that that um, you know, you didn't really believe it in the beginning. Well, that wasn't right. your work either. But but there's a way that you bring the relapse to bring into question whether even Christ had done anything for this individual, right? Whether that was Christ's forgiveness. Because if it if it didn't work, then it must not have been even Christ's forgiveness. That's the nas- necessary conclusion of that. <laughs> and you're bringing the whole work of God into, into question um, if you're looking at, um, you know,
0: amendment of life as being evidence of, of faith or fruit of faith. Right. Yeah. But that's what we do. Like I said, because we want to take agency, mm. we want to have agency. And, and the old Adam wants to be God in God's place and to you, act on behalf of God. And because yet, we know good, we know the right, you know, we know right and wrong. In this text, it's two different yokes, but they're both yokes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. There's no agency there. It's it's a yoke, and that's the key point. Right. It's the I must decrease so that He may increase principle. Mm-hmm. As, as much as I would like to take personal agency, that's actually the whole problem. Yeah. My need to have any agency, whatsoever, rather than just accept that I'm an instrument of the Holy Spirit, is what destroys the pulpit, it's what destroys churches, it's what destroys communities, is our need to take agency in the way of our selfishness versus agency in the way of selflessness. Again, there's nothing wrong with personal agency. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying that. Like, Mm -hmm. we shouldn't take personal responsibility. Not at all. Because, again, in relation to our neighbor… We have to act and we have to take responsibility for our neighbor. Right. And we're called to take responsibility for our neighbor, whether it be, you know, standing with them in prayer or whether it be helping them cut down trees, whatever it may be. The question is just, do you actually think any of that, you know, gets you one inch closer to the kingdom? Right. Yeah. That's what we're really talking about here. That's right. Right. Exactly. That the yoke frees you from having to worry about that question altogether. Hmm. Because, again, what is, what is the question at the base? What is the premise of all religions? It's this question. What must I do to be saved from judgment? Right. And then here's Jesus saying, no, it's what I've done for you. Start exactly. To it's all re- the judgment's done. Yeah. That's why Jesus says, I will not eat or drink the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom comes. And then what does he do immediately after he, ri- he rises from the dead? Let's eat.
2: Yeah. Party time. Because the,
0: yeah, because the kingdom isn't out there somewhere. It's Jesus. Yeah, As we actually, Nagel talked about in that last sermon, that Jesus is king. Therefore, wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of God is at. Yeah. And that can be having breakfast at the seashore with memorial exactly. fish.
2: I mean, very descriptive. Well,
0: and I was talking with a young friend of mine last night after um, class. He's 18 years old and he's just—he's a, a really mature kid. He's a really great guy. But we I invited him up for lunch and um, to come to church. He's Baptist and I invited him to come to church to check out us old crusty Lutherans. And he, but he said, you know, we were just talking about it in general terms, but um, one of the things he talked about, I thought that was actually kind of helpful was, he said, if what you're doing in that building on Sunday, you can't do anywhere else, then is it really the thing? Is it really about Jesus? And i like, that's actually a really good point. Hmm. Like, if we're saying we can't. And this is the difference between, I would say, Lutherans and, let's say, the Roman Catholics, for example, is that we claim anyways that the gospel and the gifts can be delivered anywhere at any time for anyone. Hospital. Exactly. That's why home, I baptize kids in the hospital, at right? Home. yeah. Rather than make them wait until we can get to church and have the big celebration, is that if we take, if we take Titus chapter 3 seriously, why do we wait to baptize? And so that you know, Pastor Swirla alerted me to that statement, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was like, "Yeah, why do we wait?" And and so I've catechized my congregation, and so now I go to the hospital, and as soon as the baby's born and the baby's um, safe, we baptize the baby, and whoever there is a witness, nurses, doctors, friends, family doesn't matter. We have witnesses, and we do it. And the, I, but I thought that was such a, a great point for an 18 year old to make. <laughs> of if you can't do this anywhere. Is it really the thing, mm-hmm. or do we have to do it in this building, or do we have to do it in just this way with just these things? Because otherwise, it's not God. And that's again adding more in parameters, restraints, uh,
2: constraints, of laws. Yes. The yoke of slavery, I think Paul calls it in Galatians, <laughs> to something that is is free uh, to be given according to Christ's own word, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so. That's the thing is like the, the building is a vehicle, the altar, the pulpit, all these things are the vehicles that God can, can use to deliver the goods, but he doesn't have to. Right. I mean, we're free to use that altar or we're free to change it. I mean, it's. Right. And you and I have both traveled outside the United States. We've both worshiped in different settings. Yeah. I've, I've been in a church on the top of a mountain in Guatemala and you've been in Siberia and I've worshiped under a blue tarp on dirt in Mexico. That's pretty cool. And the, in the Siberia was
2: in a bank one of them uh right exactly one's uh one of the other places we went to church was an old communist uh like i think it was actually like a communist headquarters kind of thing for the community that's awesome yeah whatever you can get you you find real evil. god used for good well and the the little villages out um you know out in more rural siberia we Mm -hmm. were they, they would they would often just be an abandoned building of who even knows what it was
0: originally. Exactly. And they just claim it and <laughs> there's like property ownership is a little different out there. Right. You know, and then just turn it into And again, into further proof that we hate freedom is the fact that as soon as we start talking about this, we all start qualifying it <laughs> and saying, well, yeah, 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 but we're not saying that you shouldn't go to church on Sunday. Well, again, as my young friend pointed out, the church isn't the building, the church is the people. Mm-hmm. Which has become a cliche at this point, and yet I think it's definitely one that we need to run to ground more often to remind people: you are the assembly of the saints, right. you are the church. Jesus doesn't say wherever there's a seventy-seven by twenty-seven foot building, I will be there. He says wherever two or three gather in my name, well, no, with if them. it's and only if it has that uh, candle that in there that stays lit all the time. <laughs> That's right. Oh jeepers, don't even. <laughs> that proves oh. that Jesus
2: is present. Uh, right, right. No, but I like the idea or the way that the. Um, Lutheran Confession says it, you know, that we're free to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper um, on on Sundays. Um, right. And, or Sabbaths, I think is what it says. On every Sabbath, Sabbath
0: and every holy day.
2: And holy days. And actually, where anytime it's desired. <laughs> exactly. Which, I mean, that, that degree of freedom. What, wait a minute. Are we we're free to have church every day? Yeah. Uh,
0: more yeah, than once a day? absolutely. Uh, yeah. Why wouldn't you want? And I've had people, you know, my my more pious members ask that question. Why can't we have communion every day? And my answer is we can. Yeah. It's just, I won't be able to get any other work done. <laughs> right, well, yeah, it's true. It is kind of binding. Uh, but also you have it,
2: uh, I don't know if you've ever had anybody uh, complain, maybe, and say, mm-hmm. Pastor, why do you commune at every service? Shouldn't you right. just commune at one? <laughs> like, um
0: is there too, is there a restraint to this is there too right. much we, of a good we actually thing? talked about this real briefly in Bible study last Sunday when I brought because the point got brought up again about specialness mm-hmm. and I said do you think the fact that the god who has created over 140 billion galaxies has chosen to be present for you in the lord's supper isn't special yeah <laughs> like how can you say it's not special and we have to add the, some meaning to it right exactly yeah. it's like look up at the sky that's infinity he made that <laughs> he chooses to be with you in a very specific way in the in the bread and the wine. Hmm. I think that's pretty special. I don't know about you, but <laughs> no, that's a I mean it, is it a
2: burden? I guess a little bit because he says do it this way, right? <laughs> right, um, right. And he says give it, <laughs> you know, receive it. Um right. but but it's a light one. I mean really you're going to make this more difficult than it really needs to be right it's here it's a gift
0: receive right right the posture of faith is the posture of a baby whether Mm -hmm. it be a baby bird or a baby it's that you you know when when mama bird comes you tilt your head up you open your mouth and you wait to get fed yeah that's trust that's faith yeah and what do we do at the lord's table well my people kneel at the rail and many of them just tilt their head up open their mouth and i put the wafer in the cup to their mouth and they they take well, that's the that's that's what Jesus said earlier in the text that uh, Nagel's
2: preaching on here. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed
0: them to babes. Right. Yeah. And that's for me. That's such an important verse, and I'm glad you brought it up again because I'm surrounded, like I said, I spend nine tenths of my time around non Christians yeah. now, and that is that main. That's the that's the tip of the spear of their argument every time is you can't be that dumb. You're a really smart person and you're really well-read and knowledgeable. How can you possibly be so dumb as to believe these things? Mm -hmm. And it's like, hmm, thankfully, Jesus actually had something to say about that too. (laughs) That I shouldn't chafe at that, but rather rejoice in the fact that his word has come true.
2: Yeah, this is like when your parents tell you, um, yeah, we have this thing called an alphabet, which we put together to make these words, and you can write them down, and here's how they go, A, B, C, D, you know, and it's yeah. you just receive it. <laughs> you, as a child, right. a babe, you, right. you're not like, oh, no, I want a different
0: alphabet, sorry, um, that one doesn't work for me. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the the yoke of Jesus makes everything gift, the burden of the law makes everything a requirement.
1: Mm.
0: It's all rewards mm. and avoiding punishments. And that's why he says if being a Christian is something that makes you groan, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. If if the burden is so heavy that you groan under the weight of it, oh, we got to go to church again at Sunday already, then you're doing Christianity wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if if the building is more important than the gospel and the gifts, you're doing Christianity wrong. Yeah. And that and that yeah. could lead you to
2: discuss, you know, uh, matters of piety, right? I mean, Absolutely. So so why yeah. I mean, what's the burden? Well, I'm having trouble standing all the time, pastor. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Well, then don't stand
0: while everybody else is standing well right you're free in christ y- not to yeah um i have people that don't come to the community rail because we have three steps that come up to the community rail and they're old and they have bad hips and that's why i tell them you are free in christ to have me come down and serve you that's my job yeah well, it would be the same
2: thing. Well, I don't want to sing all those, you know, old Lutheran hymns, you know. Yeah. This, I, we're, we're, that's all we sing. Well, okay. One, we have some creativity and variance. We can bring in others. Um, two, maybe maybe try singing some psalms instead, you know, Right. Uh, which are a different kind of um, spiritual song, right?
0: Right. Yeah.
2: And there, we're f- there's f- plenty of freedom there um, as long as, of course, the, God's Word is in and through the whole thing.
0: I and mean, that's the exactly point. Yeah. So that's the thing, man, that the burden is easy and the yoke is light because it's Christ. Yeah, enjoy it too. I mean, that's the other aspect. Exactly. Of it. If it's light, then that's dance. The, yeah, <laughs> it's a celebration. It's a light. It's a dance. It's a celebration. The primary image used for the last day of the resurrection is one of a celebration, a party. Rejoicing and dancing. Yeah, yeah and so, you know, especially for us upper Midwestern Lutherans, you know, God's frozen people, the <laughs> idea that we're going to have to celebrate for eternity uh, kind of perturbs us then we might have to <laughs> smile exactly but to smile and make eye contact <laughs> forever <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> there will be no shoes in heaven so you got to figure out a different way to identify your neighbor yeah and it might but, be food uh, full of rich um you know rich right, and marrow instead and of butters and, and marrow yeah, yeah instead of uh, jello casserole or whatever exactly um but that's the thing then is that like you said if, if these things do chafe you Grab the book, Selected Sermons of Noron Nagel. Sit down with your pastor and your Bible study group and read through these sermons together. Mm-hmm. And have the conversation, like you said, whether it be about piety or about how we receive the gifts or how we think about obedience versus love or faith versus, what, sin. Yeah. Have the conversation and let Dr. Nagel kind of give you a framework to work out of.
2: Yeah. And I th- I think through and through, at least in the selections
0: here, it's it's
2: uh, there's joy, there's there's freedom, there's...
1: Um, even happiness,
2: mm-hmm. and and I think, yeah. but I think it's because he he truly lets the good news, <laughs> the gospel, predominate, right? right even exactly. in the midst of a difficult text like our last one with the fig tree, mm-hmm. right of judgment,
0: yeah. yeah. And that's the benefit of uh, a church father like Doctor Nagel, a theologian of the church, is that he can lead us back into the scriptures mm. yeah. and say, "Hey, have you have you read it this way before, or have you ever considered that?" Your presuppositions are clouding your judgment on this text because maybe the fig tree is not about law but about gospel. Yeah, or maybe you've just lost your first love. Right, right, exactly. You've lost your first love, so check it out. It's good stuff, and like I said, it, it might make you happy. So be careful. It might actually set you free. <laughs> yeah, you might enjoy. <laughs> you might enjoy the it, text. Yeah, which is always dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, come back next week for our brand new episode, and uh, I hope we pass the audition. See ya
3: You summoned me, Dr. Frankenstein? Indeed, I did, Igor. I wanted to tell you that I'm retiring from the business of monster creation to do something that requires even more genius. What's that, Doctor? Coffee roasting, Igor. There are so many wonderfully complex variables to busy my intellect with. Try the end product, Igor. It's brilliant and delicious. Not bad, Doctor. But have you considered just ordering your coffee pre roasted? Preposterous, Igor. No one else has the scientific attention to detail that this enterprise requires. What about coffee by Gillespie? Coffee by Gillespie? Christopher Gillespie is a master at selecting high-quality specialty coffee beans that are as sustainable as they are tasty. And to roast them to their finest, he uses traditional techniques combined with the latest technology. Something a scientist like you should appreciate, Doctor. Indeed, indeed. But the coffee, Igor, is it any good? Everything about Coffee by Gillespie is done with taste in mind. Gillespie even ships your coffee directly to your address so it doesn't lose its delectable flavor sitting on the store shelf. You've convinced me, Igor. Coffee by Gillespie clearly has me beat for coffee new how. Where may I get some? Just go online to gillespie.coffee and order any time. Let it be done, Igor. But opt for the decaf. Frankie can be a handful when he's had too much caffeine. (sighs) Coffee by Gillespie. It's brilliant, and it's delicious.